0: Hello and welcome to Timeless Files, a fan podcast for the TV show Timeless. I'm your host, Chris Butler. Over the last couple of weeks, the Timeless cast and crew have reassembled to film the extra two episodes of Timeless, or the film if you want to say it that way. In the US, the broadcast date for both episodes is Thursday 20th of December at 8pm, which is the best time slot Timeless has ever had, I'd say. So hopefully the viewing figures will be really good and maybe that will help to persuade another network to pick up the show and give us more seasons, which is what we all want. Is it two episodes or is it a film? The answer is probably both, depending which country you're in and whether you're watching it live or as a repeat later on. Please watch it live because that will help the viewing figures. I think it's clear from the way the writers have been talking about the scripts that they have essentially written two extra episodes for Season 2. At the time of recording this, I haven't seen any clues as to what time periods the story will go to. We know all the main cast members are back, if they were alive, at the end of Season 2. i better not pursue that thought right now in case anyone listening to this hasn't seen Episodes 9 and 10 of Season 2. All in all, apart from some backstage photos that don't really reveal anything, the production has been very careful not to reveal anything, which is great. I personally do not want to see spoilers for it. Anyway, filming has more or less wrapped as I record this. I know Malcolm, Abigail and Claudia have definitely finished. There might be a bit left to do for some of the others. I guess the next thing to look forward to will be a trailer at some point. And hopefully news on a UK broadcast. There's been no news about that yet. Meanwhile this week I'm here to talk about season two episode eight the day Reagan was shot which for the most part is a wonderful standalone episode until the last few minutes when we get some key plot development to start to shift us into the end game for season two. <laughs> The episode starts with John Hinckley Jr.'s attempt on the life of President Ronald Reagan on March 30th, 1981. The narration over this opening scene is paraphrasing a letter Hinckley wrote to the actress Jodie Foster. I don't think it's the actual letter, I'm guessing because maybe there are legal reasons not to quote the letter verbatim. But it certainly captures the general tone of Hinckley's letter. Hinckley was 25 at the time and obsessed with Jodie Foster. We see a recreation of the attempted assassination of the president. But in story terms, this is all a bit of a red herring. If you thought this episode was going to be about Rittenhouse trying to kill President Reagan, you'd be very wrong. But we'll come to that shortly. From 1981 we cut back to the present day and Agent Christopher at home with her family. It's important for this episode to quickly re-establish that she has a home and family because of where this episode is heading and to remind us that she has a lot to lose. We learned in Season 1 Episode 10, the capture of Benedict Arnold, that Agent Christopher has a certain amount of fear around history potentially being rewritten. In the possibility she might lose her family entirely. That very memorable scene was, I'm sure, completely the inspiration for this episode. A subplot that unfolds through this episode is that there is a rift between Denise Christopher and her mother. Agent Christopher in the timeline we know has married another woman, Michelle, and they have two children, Olivia and Mark. It's not clear if Denise's mother knows she's married at all. Apparently she doesn't know the children exist so there is a major rift between them. So we're told about that and reminded about Denise's family and this brief scene in the kitchen of their home also has a couple of reminders about the religious ethnic background that Denise is from which is also going to be important later. We cut to Rufus and Gia He's working on the lifeboat, she says she knows what he's doing, he's pushing her away, he denies it. She lays into him pretty hard, she says she knows it's because he thinks he's going to die, and he might think he's making it easy on her by doing this, but actually it just makes him look like a douchebag. His response to that is to walk away. At the end of the previous episode, it looked like they were in a better place than this, but it seems Rufus is still struggling with the prophecy of his death. He goes to the kitchen and starts clattering around in there. Lucy and Wyatt are there. They say he's been sulking all week and what's the matter with him? He finally tells them about Gia's vision and that he's going to die on one of their future missions. It's quite shocking that this is the first they're hearing of it and he hasn't shared this with them before now. Doubly shocking is that Wyatt doesn't know about Gia's visions at all. This really brings home how completely the three of them have been torn apart by recent events. Rufus explains about the vision, Wyatt and Lucy are dismissive of it. They quote all the times they've nearly died before. Rufus says Gia has been right before, and so they need to plan for the future. But at that point the alarm sounds to tell them the mothership time machine is in flight. Lucy recognises the date as being the date of the Reagan assassination attempt. Agent Christopher isn't present yet, she's still on her way in, so they make their own decision to go. But Flynn and Mason were both alive in 1981, so they can't go on this mission. Um, In case you're wondering, nineteen isn't the absolute latest time jump that we've seen. Wyatt and Rufus went to 1983, two years after this, in the Karma Chameleon episode. But Gia says she will take the fourth seat in the lifeboat. Mason is worried, given Gia's previous experience with time travel. But Rufus backs her up, in a way. He says she needs the experience, plus they'll be needing another pilot when he's gone. Lucy and Wyatt look somewhere between worried and exasperated at that comment. We cut straight to them in 1981. No scene inside the lifeboat, alas. We're on the streets of Washington, D.C. Co-writer Lauren Greer roller skates past the time team. Look out for that if you didn't know it, sir. Episode writers are generally on set when Timeless is shooting. I don't know if any of the others have ever made it on screen as an extra. I'd love to know if they did. Anyway, the time team are dressed in 80s fashion, which is a look. They work it. Shea has apparently joined right in with the required clothes stealing that they have to do. They discuss the attempt on Reagan's life, which is due to happen at 2.27pm. We go back to the bunker briefly. Agent Christopher arrives, and when she hears the team have gone to 81, Washington DC, to save Reagan from Rittenhouse, she says, no, that's not it, that's not the reason they're there. But if Denise knows what Rittenhouse want, the time team still think this is about Reagan. They approach the site of the shooting. They're not worried about Hinkley necessarily, because his attempt on Reagan is known history, and they should let that play out as before. Although you never know anymore if the time team might decide to try to change things for the better. What they're more concerned about is a possible Rittenhouse agent who could be here to make things worse somehow. Wyatt sees a laser sight hitting the jacket of a female police officer at the scene and then sees the man aiming at her. Wyatt runs forward and pushes her to the ground as the shooter fires. In the chaos, the president is whisked away and the Rittenhouse agent escapes. It's not immediately clear what happened to Hinckley. Wyatt helps the officer to sit up. She was grazed by a bullet, but not badly injured. And then Wyatt realises he's just saved a young Agent Christopher. So we can suppose that Rittenhouse's purpose here was nothing to do with Hinkley or Reagan. They wanted to kill Agent Christopher. Young Denise is sent off to the hospital. The others tell Wyatt that Hinckley escaped, which was not supposed to happen. He should have been arrested. Wyatt tells them that Rittenhouse's target was actually Agent Christopher and they realise they need to follow her to the hospital in case Rittenhouse makes another attempt on her life. In the bunker, they're having a very similar conversation about the impact on history if Agent Christopher is killed in the past. Essentially, Agent Christopher created the team, and all their previous successes against Rittenhouse would be erased. All the arrests made at the end of Season 1 would be undone. Rittenhouse would almost certainly have control of the lifeboat, which is what they really want. Flynn says on the plus side, he wouldn't have been arrested. Ever the diplomat, Flynn. He gives a good impression of not caring what happens to Agent Christopher, but I think a lot of this is just a front. On a personal level, Christopher knows her family could be wiped out at any moment and there's nothing she can do about it. But she says she trusts the team. The credits are on screen at this point. This episode is co-written by Erica Lizanne Mittman and Lauren Greer. Erica is an executive producer on Timeless. She previously wrote Season 1, episode 7 and 16, That's Stranded and The Red Scare. And with Tom Smut, she co-wrote Season 2, Episode 1, The War to End All Wars. Lauren Greer was credited as production assistant on Season 1 of Timeless and writer's assistant on the season two episodes leading up to this one. This episode is her first screenplay credit. The episode is directed by Alex Klimios. It's her only directing work on Timeless. Looks like her early directing work was in the UK on shows like EastEnders and Scott and Bailey. And then more recently she has been working in the States directing episodes of shows such as Once Upon a Time, Quantico, and the 100. The Time Team arrive at the hospital. They can't exactly arrest Hinkley themselves, but they see young Denise being brought in, and they think, well, she could arrest him. Wyatt also thinks he sees the Rittenhouse agent, so he sends Lucy to watch after Denise while he goes after the Rittenhouse guy. Naturally, the group splits into two teams here. Rufus goes with Wyatt and Gia goes with Lucy. The next scene starts with Lucy and Gia standing at the end of Denise's bed. Gia says they're Cagney and Lacey, private detectives. Best aliases yet, I think. They say they're not allowed to disclose who they're working for. They tell Denise that the president should be okay. They say they want to talk to her about the man who shot the president. They need her help. But then they're interrupted by the arrival of Denise's family. We learn her real name. It is Dutri Siravastava. She says she took the name Denise Christopher purely to use in her job. Just after her family arrive, her fiancé's family arrive too, the fiancé being male. Lucy and Gia are confused because the Denise Christopher they know married another woman. But with so many people in the room, they are forced to step away and wait outside. Wyatt and Rufus follow the Rittenhouse agent through the hospital. There is a wonderfully awkward moment when Wyatt and Rufus follow him into a lift or an elevator, I suppose, I should say, for any Americans listening in. Along with the Rittenhouse guy, there is also an elderly lady clutching a walking frame. She asks if Reagan is okay, but as she leaves at the next floor, she mutters that she voted for Carter. The Rittenhouse guy was obviously aware of Wyatt and Rufus, whether he knew them because he saw them at the site of the assassination attempt, or knows them because everyone in Rittenhouse knows them, or is just naturally suspicious. I don't know, but the second the old lady leaves, he pulls out his gun. But Wyatt reacts quickly and knocks the gun out of his hand, and then there's a brilliant three-way fight scene in the enclosed space of the lift, slash elevator, including a spectacular backflip by Wyatt. They eventually get the better of the Rittenhouse guy, who immediately pleads with them not to kill him. He says he will tell them everything. In the following scenes, there's a lot of fast cutting back and forth between Lucy and Gia watching Denise and Wyatt and Rufus interrogating the sleeper agent, whose name is Owen. Lucy and Gia see Denise's family leaving her hospital room, so only her fiancé, Soniel, is left in the room with her. Lucy tells Gia that Cagney and Lacey premieres later that year, in 1981. So she only just got away with using those names. Gia shrugs and says she likes to live on the edge. There was a deleted scene here, released on the Timeless Writer's Twitter feed. I guess it's more of an extended scene, where we get to see the conversation inside Denise's room. Her fiancé asks for time alone with her. He tells her that she doesn't have to marry him they talk about how it would make both their families happy if they did get married. Neither of them seems to have much enthusiasm for it, but he recognises that she is sweet, funny and brave. It's an arranged marriage, but that is very normal and expected in their culture. Uh, The scene was only cut for time, and I don't think the episode suffers especially for losing it. We know perfectly well the dilemma this poses for Denise. Moving on, Wyatt and Rufus have relocated to a basement and tied up the Rittenhouse guy. He tells them he was placed in 1969, 12 years earlier. Wyatt wants to know about other sleeper agents, but he says he only knows about his own mission and he was only activated this morning. Wyatt wants to know why he would give up the life he had to live in the past for 12 years. He says he had no choice. Denise and Sonny will come out of her hospital room and they announce they are getting married. Lucy and Gia are shocked because this is a change to history. If it signals a career change for Agent Christopher, then this is a victory for Rittenhouse that will have far-reaching repercussions. They ask for just one minute of her time. Reluctantly, she agrees and says she'll meet her family downstairs. They tell Christopher they know who shot Reagan. they claim to be working for Jody Foster, and they say they know the hotel where Hinkley was staying. Lucy says she knows Denise can't just walk away from this, and reluctantly she agrees to go with them to Hinkley's hotel. While they're waiting for the hotel manager, Lucy and Gia do their best to question Denise on whether marrying a man is the right thing for her. During that, Lucy and Gia announce they are a gay couple, which is hilarious. They also reflect on the fact that all three of them have domineering mothers. But Denise puts up a robust defence of her traditions and says that the marriage has already been decided. I think there's definitely an in-joke here that Denise says her mother is an amazing cook. Sakina Jaffrey's mother is also known as an amazing cook, as well as an actress. So I suspect that was a little nod to that. Back to the story, inside Hinkley's hotel room, Denise finds his confession letter to Jodie Foster. And enough other evidence for serious concern. They also find some blood and a bloody razor blade. They theorise that Hinkley would want to know if he'd succeeded in killing Reagan or not. and The only way into that ER right now would be if you had a medical emergency. And back in the ER room at that moment, Hinkley is being treated for cuts to his arm. The alert comes into the security detail at the hospital, and one of them approaches the room where Hinkley is being treated. Back with Wyatt, Rufus, and the Rittenhouse guy, Owen, Owen says that his father was caught embezzling money and subsequently killed himself. Rittenhouse helped his family. His brother, Zach, bought into their ideology completely. Carol Preston promised she would take care of them. In return, she wanted something from them. He says time travel sounded like an incredible adventure. He claims he knew nothing about killing anyone until that morning. Wyatt asks if this is how it normally works. Owen says he doesn't know. Wyatt asks why they brought his wife, Jessica, back. Owen swears he doesn't know anything about that. Wyatt punches him in the face. Owen says he has a wife and two kids in 2018, and Rittenhouse will kill them if he doesn't do what they say. The picture we're getting now of the sleeper agents is quite different to what we might have expected at the beginning of the season. they are people coerced into helping Rittenhouse, but not necessarily highly trained or committed to the cause. has been arrested, thanks to the tip-off from Officer Christopher. Denise wants to tell her lieutenant everything that Cagney and Lacey did to help. They say that's not necessary. They mostly work undercover, usually as prostitutes, Gia says. They ask Denise if she will carry on being a cop. She says Soniel's family are traditional. He's training as a doctor she will be expected to stay home. She tells them that her father was killed when she was four years old. It's the first they've heard of this. Denise says a female cop called Officer Christopher looked after her at the scene, and when she joined the police force, she chose to use her name. Christopher is called away, and Lucy is determined that she has to intervene to keep Christopher's life on the path it was on before. Lucy says she has an idea, and they have to get something from the lifeboat. Again, there is a slightly extended version of this scene in which when Denise is called away, she is introduced to Attorney General Giuliani, and she is specifically asked if she's considered a career with the FBI. It was cut for time um, because they thought it might be a little bit distracting from the emotional conversation with Lucy and Gia, and I think actually that was the right decision. It would have been distracting, I think. I must admit I am suspicious about this Officer Christopher that Denise met as a four-year-old. Whenever one of the major characters reveals a traumatic incident in their past, such as Lucy's car crash when she was in college, you have to wonder whether a time traveller was involved. But in this case it could be that this is exactly what it appears to be, a female cop who was kind to Denise when she needed someone. We cut back to the bunker where Agent Christopher is keeping busy with paperwork, she says. And Garcia Flynn tells her that's not what she should be doing. He talks about his last night with his family and how he would give anything for even a few seconds with his family again. She says she is really sorry about that, but he tells her to save her pity. She can sit there doing paperwork if she wants to, but he knows what he would do. She sees that he's right, and she goes home to spend time with her family. Wyatt and Rufus are discussing what to do with the sleeper agent. Can they kill him? They've never caught a sleeper before. Rufus wonders if they can bring him back with them. Owen interrupts them, saying he'd be better off dead, and they should just kill him. Rufus says they can't do that, so he asks them to leave him in 81, and in exchange offers them information. He says his brother is thoroughly brainwashed by Rittenhouse, and needs to be stopped or there is no hope for him and his family. He gives them the address and they leave him tied up. Wyatt says if they get there in time to save Denise then they'll worry about what to do with him. A celebration is in full flow at the Sirivastava home. Lucy and Gia arrive and Denise agrees to talk to them. When they're alone, Lucy comes straight out with the truth of why they're there, that she and Gia are time travellers from 2018. Of course, Denise doesn't believe them at first, but they show her a laptop computer, more sophisticated than anything she's ever seen. Lucy tells her they didn't tell her the truth at first because they were trying to protect her, but now she tells her everything. That she gets recruited by the FBI, then works for Homeland Security, and these decisions are important. Then we see that Lucy has recovered the flash drive from the lifeboat, filled with photographs of Denise's family. Denise is struggling to come to terms with this, as anyone would be. She asks why Lucy is doing this to her, and Lucy says because Denise asked her to. And so Denise has to call off the engagement to Sunil. Outside, the Rittenhouse agent arrives, the brother, and he has a gun. And back in the present, we see Denise arriving home for what could be her final moments with her family. While Denise is off talking to her mother, Gia and Lucy are left alone. Gia asks why Lucy didn't say anything about Rittenhouse. Lucy says knowing the future is a huge responsibility and she wouldn't wish that on anyone. Which makes Gia smile because it's exactly the problem she has. Gia wonders if she should walk away from Rufus, but Lucy says has she ever thought that maybe she's seeing these visions so that she can save him. Lucy says she used to think that history was set in stone, but now she sees how fragile it all is. If they can change the past, then there has to be a way that they can change the future. And I think this conversation has a big effect on Gia. But that's something we will see in the following episodes. In the car outside, the Rittenhouse guy is trying to get a clear shot at Denise, but because she is arguing with her mother, he can't. He steps out of the car to try to get a better view, and Wyatt and Rufus arrive in their car and run him over. So that's the end of him. Back in the house, we actually see Denise's mother slap her during this scene, which shows how angry and disappointed she is. Based on the scene at the beginning of the episode, I think this is a confrontation that didn't happen in the original timeline. So there is going to be an impact on Denise's life because of it. Wyatt and Rufus go back to the Rittenhouse agent they left tied up, and they find that he has managed to hang himself. And while it's something that Rufus would understand straight away, maybe Wyatt is saying for the first time that Owen is a victim of Rittenhouse too. There's time for one last conversation between Lucy and Gia and Denise. Denise says, what is she supposed to do now? Lucy says, take the job with the FBI and everything else will fall into place. She gives her the USB stick, she says she won't be able to use it for 20 years, but it will remind her why she's doing all of this. They hug and then the next scene shows the lifeboat arriving back in the bunker. As the hatch opens on the lifeboat, at first Lucy and Gia can't see Agent Christopher, but then she steps forward, smiling. She thanks Wyatt first. He says, no thanks necessary, ma'am. We don't often hear the ma'am word from Wyatt anymore, and it's a nice touch when Wyatt reverts back into his more formal military manner, out of respect for her, I'd say. Then Denise says hello to Cagney and Lacey. And they laugh at that. Denise gives the USB drive back to Lucy again. She remembers the first time she saw a computer that could use one. And now that everyone is back safely, she's heading home for family night. Her mother is cooking. And it's clear that she has a much closer relationship with her mother now. So to a certain extent, Agent Christopher's life has been rewritten, although she's followed much the same path. She's happy, and essentially she's the same person. And that kind of concludes the Agent Christopher story for this episode. But we've got three more scenes to come in the closing minutes, and they're pretty major. First we see Rufus and Gia. He's talking about how he could end up like the Rittenhouse agent alone in the past, if Gia's visions come true, an unidentified body in the 18th century. She tells him he's not alone. He says whatever time he has left, he wants to spend it with her. From now on, he's all in. She tells him they're problem solvers. They don't just give up. He kisses her and tells her he's so in love with her. Next, Lucy goes to see Flynn. She's in a pretty assertive mood. She questions him about the journal. He said she gave it to him. She wants to know what he meant by that. And this has been one of the major mysteries of the show. I think I've tried to wrap my head around it in other episodes of this podcast. And here we get the answer suddenly. He says it was two weeks after his family was killed. He was alone, in hiding. He ended up in a bar in Sao Paulo, Brazil. He was drinking heavily when Lucy walked in. She looked five years older than she does now. He starts to say, you looked no less. Then he stops himself and says she looked good. It's almost as if he was about to pay her a much bigger compliment, but he thought better of it. Anyway, she told him her name. She knew everything, how his family died, that Rittenhouse was behind it all. She said there was a way to stop them and to do it he was going to need her help. And that's when she handed him the journal so he tells her she started all of it she says that's impossible they can't travel within their own timelines and that is what has been so perplexing about this idea that lucy gave flynn the journal the only way i could come up with was that flynn had had the journal since he was a boy because he's a bit older than her so that could have been before her birth but no Flynn was a grown man, and he says maybe they don't know how to do this yet, but maybe Rufus and Gia will figure it out, how they can travel within their own timelines. Lucy handed him the journal, and then she left. She says that doesn't make sense, but he says what he's told her is all he knows. They will both have to wait and see what happens. The last scene is with Wyatt and Jessica. She is looking at some photos on her phone. He asks what she's looking at. It's a photo of her brother, Kevin. He is shocked because in the timeline he knows, Jessica's brother died when he was three. She says no, her brother was saved by some cutting-edge treatment he had. Wyatt asks how her family paid for that. He asks if there's something she's not telling him. She says yes, there is. And she tells him she's pregnant. And that's the end of the episode. I imagine this episode had to tread carefully with using a real life person like Hinkley. I know in the NASA episode in season one, there was some legal concern around portraying Katherine Johnson in the show, and that was someone who was portrayed very positively, quite rightly. Hinkley, of course, was tried and convicted for his crimes, so perhaps it's not contentious in a legal sense. It's mostly a matter of public record. I think this episode, on the whole, is just full of heart. It really focuses on how much the time team cares about each other and supports each other. It doesn't dwell on Rittenhouse particularly, we just get the two sleeper agents, one of whom is shown quite sympathetically. Lucy and Gia make a great team, and it's great to see Wyatt and Rufus working closely together again, with Rufus as Wyatt's conscience in many ways. The episode is mainly about Agent Christopher, following up on the story begun in the season 1 episode. It's great to see the show building on earlier story elements like this, and it's great that the screenplay is sympathetic to the ethnic background she comes from, as well as to the progressive side of her story, and her marriage to another woman. I think the episode could be criticised as being rather sentimental, For me personally, I don't feel that. I think it stays on the right side of that line. The story is moving without being schmaltzy. Karen David is just adorable as the young Denise. And Sakina is lovely too. Certainly at the end, she gets a chance to smile and look happy in a way that the timeless story doesn't often allow. I don't know if I completely believe that the two actresses are the same woman, but it wasn't a problem for me. I could buy into it. The reveal about how the journal came into Flynn's possession is, well, I was very happy to get this information at last. It sets up the idea that time travellers will be able to travel within their own timelines. Maybe that will be important at some point. As for Wyatt and Jessica, well, if history has been changed in her favour, with her brother being kept alive instead of dying. Does that suggest she's been compromised in some way? And is her sudden claim that she's pregnant just a way to distract Wyatt from that question? Is it even true that she's pregnant? All in all, this is a great episode. And the writing team here are writing the forthcoming extra episodes. So I think that gives me a very positive feeling that uh, we have something really special to look forward to. That's all for this episode. Next time I'll be discussing Season 2, Episode 9, The General. I know Episode 9 was shown together with Episode 10 in the USA as a big Season 2 finale. But as far as I'm concerned, they are two separate episodes, so I'm going to talk about Episode 9 next time, and then I will follow with Episode 10 later. As always, thank you for tuning in. All the podcasts so far are available on the site, timelessfiles.podbean.com. Or in all the usual podcasting places, including iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. And you can find me on Twitter at, at TimelessFiles. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.